You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Well, great to see you tonight. Uh, We're going to get right into God's Word, and um, then we're going to have a time of communion and a time of prayer together. I love First Wednesdays because we get to dive into Scripture, and also we get to pray for one another, and I'm excited about this. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. As you're turning, I want to remind you, this Sunday is a huge Sunday here because it's the beginning of Missions Festival, one of the best times out of the year, I'm telling you. I'm just excited about it. Um, All our missionaries will be home. Um, You get to see them. Um, So I want to tell you right up front, whether you come to the 945 or the 1115 or you watch online, um, I just want to tell you, the the online experience is going to be great. But because of the very beginning, we have some of our um, partners and missionaries that we strategically partner with that are in countries that are, it's dangerous to show them on the internet. Um, I'm going to tell you, you want to be here live for the Parade of Nations at the very beginning of that. I'm just telling you, it's going to be fantastic. And I want to tell you, you don't want to be late. You want to be here at the very beginning of that service uh, to see either at 9.45 or 11.15. And then um, after the uh, service is over with, the 11.15 service, immediately following the service, up in the gymnasium, we've got a reception where uh, there'll be food and some stuff up there for you. And you get to uh, spend some time with our missionaries. It's just a great quality time, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. If you're new, and a lot of you are new to Mount Perrin North, and man, we are glad you're here. Listen to me. Missions here is done differently than anywhere else. All right, I'm not, I'm not trying to say we're better than anyone else, okay? That's not it. I just need you. I didn't say it. You all in prayer can come to the Lord about humility in a little while. That's between you and God. But I just want you to know the, 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 the purpose of Missions Festival is for you to understand what God is doing around the world. So we don't try to um, we don't try to manipulate. We don't try to show you pictures of crying babies. We don't. We want you to hear what God is doing. We want you to celebrate. And we want you to participate however God tells you to participate. Um, We're not going to strong arm. We're not going to guilt you. We're just going to lay out what God's doing and let God speak to your heart. How many know the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and just accomplish anything he wants to? Amen? I believe that. So Missions Festival this Sunday, I hope you'll be a part of that. Tonight I want to talk to you about, um, we only had five weeks in the series of asking for a friend. One of the questions that came up several times is a question that's common that I see as a pastor. And that is, what do you do about doubt? Is it a sin to doubt? What about when things come up and you find yourself questioning and doubting? Is that a sin in your life? Because there are some passages that, that we're going to look at that uh, almost indicate that, wow, if you have any seed of doubt whatsoever, that's a sin, and God's not even going to even gonna, um, deal with you. You seem to be less than a Christian, and you're like, wait, how do we hold these in tandem? How do we understand them? Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is a very interesting passage of Scripture because Jesus has already been to the cross, he has risen from the dead, and now he is about to ascend into heaven, and he leaves with his disciples, the 11, he leaves with them the commandment, what we call the Great Commission, that's to go and spread the good news about Jesus to everyone. So starting in verse 16, it says, Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. 
So Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me pray quickly for us. Father, in the next few moments, let your word speak. I pray you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth, and I want our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The people that he speaks to right here, these are the 11 disciples. They'll add another one later to take Judas's place. But he calls the 11 disciples. They're on a mountain where he told them to meet him. And when he calls them there, He begins to speak to them about the things that he wants to accomplish in their lives and through their lives. And it's amazing. Because these leaders are going to be the leaders of the church that are going to take the gospel all across the known world. They are going to take it in all of the continents, so many of the countries. They're going to establish churches everywhere. And every single one of them will give their life for the cause of Christ, with the exception of John. And John didn't do it because they just couldn't kill him. They tried on three different occasions. These men, Jesus commissioned to go and change the world in the name of Christ. And yet, when you read verses 16 and 17, he calls them there. And look at verse 17 again. When they saw him, the 11 disciples, the one who spent three and a half years with him, the one in whom he has walked into a room, literally walked through a door and stood before them, resurrected, and they saw him. The one to whom many of them were out fishing and he appears on the shore and they go and they spend time with him. The one they've seen die on a cross, put in a tomb, raised from the dead, and now they stand before him. These same men, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? It doesn't seem to make sense when you have literally stood face to face with Jesus, raised from the dead, and yet you stand here now and some doubted. What are they doubting? Have I really seen what I think I see? Is he really standing here? Is he really raised from the dead? Did he really die? Is this really true? Am I imagining this? All of these thoughts swirling around in some of their heads. And yet, at the end of their lives, they will work through whatever doubts they have. And they will literally lay down their life and refuse, refuse to deny Christ. Here's the good news. Is some of you in this room right now are going through circumstances where you probably are dealing with doubts and you feel guilty. And you think you're less than a Christian. And you think that you're not doing things the right way. Can I just tell you something? These people that God commissioned to change the world, some of them stood there as Jesus was raised from the dead and about to ascend into heaven, and they still doubted at that moment. And Jesus didn't condemn them. Jesus didn't confuse them. He commissioned them. And here's the interesting thing. When Matthew tells the story, It's not like these doubts were secret. Matthew tells the story because he's in the circle of the 11 
where they're having these discussions and he hears the doubts. And he says that some of them are still doubting at this moment. So how do you deal with doubt in your life? Because there is a passage that says that if you doubt, you're like a wave tossed about in the sea. How do you rectify and bring those two separating separating scriptures and differing opinions together? I want to give you just a couple of things. The first thing is this, is I need you to just rest your mind at ease right now, okay? Doubt in general, in general, I'm not talking about God, doubt in general is an inescapable part of our human condition. We just tend to doubt things, don't we? I mean, we tend to be skeptics about things. My grandfather, um, I can remember um, uh, talking to my grandfather, and um, he watched, the, I mean, he fought in World War II. He watched the, um, the moon landing. Um, I did not. I was born a month after it, okay? so, But we talk about it, and he talks about all of these things. And to the day that he died, the day that he, to the day he died, he just absolutely believed they filmed that out in a, in a desert in New Mexico. I mean, no matter what was on TV, no matter what proof, no matter what moon rocks they brought back, he believed that was all a farce. This all took place out in some desert out west. Believed it. You couldn't convince him otherwise. But also believed that somehow, some way, that the government was listening through the TV. Now, this man was a man that had more, when I say common sense, more practical sense. Okay, I'm, I'm from Mississippi, and he, he, he grew up on a farm. More horse sense is what he called it than anybody you've ever met in your life. Yet he's doubting things that everybody knows are real. Doubt is an inescapable part of our human condition. As a matter of fact, there is actually no such thing as doubt-free living. No such thing as doubt-free living. When you go to college, there's no guarantee of success. When you go to a trade school and learn a new trade, there's no guarantee of happiness in that trade. When you have a child, there's no guarantee that your child is going to grow up to love you and be your best friend when they get older and thank you for all the sacrifices that you've made. There's no guarantee. When you invest your money, there's no guarantee that you'll make money and not lose principal. There is no, when you start a business, there's no guarantee that you're going to be profitable. You plan, you prepare, you pray, but there's no guarantee of success. You believe it's going to happen, but there's no guarantee of that. But every single one of us along the way are going to find ourselves facing circumstances that cause you to question what you believe. I want you to hear me. Do you hear me as someone who has been in ministry for 25 years? I'm in my 17th year of being a pastor of a church, a senior pastor. I just need you to hear me. Through that, through that experience and through personal experience, there is coming a time, if you haven't faced it, where you're going to come face to face to say, do I believe what I really say I believe? Do I really believe it? And here's words of comfort for me from the book of Jude, the 22nd verse. There's only one chapter. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. 
Do you know that is the exact opposite that I see taking place in some Christians and some churches? It's if they have any questions whatsoever, oh, you're not a real believer. And yet scripture tells to be merciful to those who doubt. Can I just tell you something? If you wait until all your doubts are gone, you will never make a commitment. You will never get married. You will never take a job. You'll never have a child. You'll never make a friend. You will never follow God if you're waiting for everything to be certain and to have no doubts. Because doubts are an inescapable part of the human condition. The second thing I need you to see is this. Every human being lives by faith. Every human being lives by faith, meaning they live by something they can't prove. They live by something that they can't absolutely prove. You live by faith in these things. People that say, I wish I could have faith, but I can't. It's too difficult. Um, Frank Turek wrote a great book that's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And what he shows is this in, in it. He just says, and, and he, he gives evidence to show that there's evidence that there is a God. But he's like, look. Even when you say that you believe in science or math or anything else and you don't believe in faith, you're literally believing in faith. Most of every, most everything you live by, in, and listen to me, I'm not anti-science, I'm not anti-math, okay? I like them all. You need to hear me. I read. I like it a lot. But most of it is based on faith because most of it is based on theories, and a theory is something that can be tested but cannot be proven. Because if it was ever proven, it's called a law. A law of mathematics, a law of science. And a theory cannot be proven. And so you live by faith. There really is no such thing as living by faith or living by science. You live by faith. And the moment that you realize that, and you realize the preponderance of evidence of something, and then you say, there's enough there to believe so I will have faith in that. Romans 12, 3 says, God has given to each one a measure of faith. I want you to understand that. God has given to each one a, a, a measure of faith, which means this. You're given enough faith to believe in the things that God needs you to believe in. Now, I know there is a spiritual gift of faith. I, I understand that. But you don't need the spiritual gift of faith in order to believe that God is real, that God can do the things that he's promised to do. Every one of us have been given a measure of faith, which means we've been given enough faith to believe. Now, God can grow your faith. Absolutely. If you, if you follow Christ long enough, God's going to grow your faith. But I need you to hear me right now, okay? Here's the truth you need to buckle up for. The only way God grows your faith is through crisis. I promise you, God doesn't grow your faith by speaking to you and telling you to go buy a lottery ticket and you win the lottery. He grows your faith when you realize that there is nothing else you can depend on in that circumstance in your life. He grows your faith when the bank account is empty. He grows your faith when the mortgage is due and you don't know how you're going to pay it. He grows your faith 
when the relationship is falling apart. He grows your faith when you've been given a diagnosis where there seems to be no hope. He grows your faith when you are faced with end-of-life end of situations for your loved ones or yourself, and you have to ask yourself, do I really believe that on the other side of this doorway of death is an eternal life with Jesus Christ? He grows your faith by crisis. But for every crisis he brings you through, you believe in greater and greater ways. Hebrews 11 and 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. Because God has given us enough evidence to believe in him, but it's still faith. You're never going to get enough evidence to answer every question that you're going to have, but he gives you enough to believe. How many of you have ever, um, ever actually looked at um, uh, a dollar bill? Actually looked at it. Looked at a 20 or a 50. I'm, I'm not talking about just a number. Like, okay, that's a 50. Looked at it. Do you know that on that bill, there's nothing backing it? You can't go exchange that for a certain amount of gold or platinum or silver or anything. There's nothing there. A long time ago, it used to be. There's nothing there now. As a matter of fact, here's what it says. It says it's based upon the full credit, faith and credit of the United States of America. That's what it says. You can trust it. Because the United States has said it's worth this much. If you go and say, all right, let me ask, I'm going to exchange this. It's based on their faith, their credit. Now, here's the remarkable thing. I don't find anyone who questions whether or not the bill is worth what it says it's worth. But you do it by faith. There's no guarantee. Go to some other countries. I promise you that when there's a run on banks and inflation goes high, there's no guarantee that's worth anything. But yet I don't find anyone that questions whether or not it's worth what it says it's worth. So let me ask you a question. In my hand, I hold a bill. It could be a dollar, it could be a 10, it could be a 20, it could be a 50, it could be a 100. If I said to you, who wants this? I've got no guarantee it's worth anything. But it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Who wants it? Who wants it? You want it? Come here. Come on down. You were the brave one. You get $100. It's yours. It's yours. Absolutely. I asked that question four times before anybody raised their hand. Who wants it? It's like, if we're giving it away. 
By the way, I didn't give away church money, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. You, you live your life by faith. Every part of your life, you live by faith. So why is it that when we question things and when we face circumstances, that other people question our doubt and wonder, do we really believe? You know, if all your questions are answered, you don't need faith. That's called complete knowledge. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 says there's coming a day there. It says, for now we look, we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There is coming a day when we will behold him and see him face to face. There's a saying that we have that says, seeing is believing. But for the Christian, believing is actually seeing. Because one day, right now, we believe that there's a day we're going to see Jesus face to face. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 tells us, on that day, we'll no longer be living by faith. We'll be living by sight. But until that day, we live by faith. Doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. Every human being lives by faith. It's why the enemy wants you to question and plant seeds of doubt. And then when you do question, wants you to feel guilty and make you seem like you're not really a Christ follower. Third thing I want you to understand is this, is that doubt can lead to stronger faith. Can. If you start asking the right questions. One of the purposes beyond doubt, for doubt, is to make you investigate the truth when you have questions. Here's what John 8, 32 says. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in chapter 16, verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. One of the things that doubt can do is when you have questions and you take your questions to Jesus, you will find truth. And according to Jesus, you don't have to choose between truth and Jesus. When you search for truth, you actually find Jesus. Fourth thing I want you to see is this. When certainty is impossible, faithfulness is still possible. When certainty is impossible, faithfulness is still possible. I listed just four, quickly, four. Four people among Jesus' closest that doubted him. Simon Peter, Thomas, John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist is in jail and sends his disciples after he has preached and said, this is the one. Jesus walks down John the Baptist. He's going to, uh, earlier, he's going to baptize him and he looks and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And yet his circumstances change. He is in a prison. He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, ask him this question. Are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus didn't scold him. Jesus didn't make fun of him. 
Jesus didn't rebuke him. And what Jesus said was this, go back and tell John what you see. Show him the evidence so that he can believe. That the blind can now see, the deaf can now hear, the lame walk, that I'm setting the captives free. Go show him the evidence so that he can believe. But then immediately he turns around and he says, of all men ever born of women, none greater than John the Baptist. Immediately after he questions. Isn't that remarkable? Because Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. God has never asked people to manufacture certainty. He asked them to be faithful with what they know. I love the story in Daniel where there are three contemporaries of Daniel. And they are faced with a decision. They come out and there is a giant statue that has been built. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has been convinced by his advisors in order to entrap these three young men to make a command and command that everyone bow down when the music plays and worship that statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And he does. And everyone bows down except these three young men. They refuse to worship anything except God. And this is the passage where it says in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And then when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue for you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. You notice what they said? He's able to save us. He's able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we'll never bow down to you. And the Bible says that they are thrown into that blazing furnace that was so hot that the people who threw them, the guards who threw them, literally fell dead. Nebuchadnezzar came over and looked in. And the Bible says, he started counting and he said, how many did we throw in there? And he said, three, your majesty. He says, there's four. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee when they make that statement and they refuse to bow. There's no certainty when they throw them into that furnace. There's no certainty. But there is faithfulness. When certainty is not possible, faithfulness is always possible. We trust God's goodness and his faithfulness regardless of how this turns out is what they said. I told you earlier, even the disciples after they had seen Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, they still had lingering doubts. 
It says, when they saw him, this is the strange part to me, they worshiped, but some doubted. Can I just speak life into somebody in this place tonight? Some of you came here and you have questions and you have doubts and you worshiped through your doubts and wondered if you were a hypocrite when God welcomes your questions. The word doubt there is to question, to waver, to wonder about something. It's the same word that's used in Jude when he says, be merciful to those who doubt. But there's another passage that seems to throw it in a completely different light. That passage is James chapter 1, verse 6, and it says this in the New International Version. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The New Living Translation says this, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. The Amplified Version says, But he must ask in faith without doubting God's willingness to help for the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. The word there is not the same word that is translated doubt earlier in Matthew 28 or in Jude. The word doubt here literally means to make a distinction. The root part of it is to make a distinction. It means to pass judgment Meaning this, when you ask God and you begin to question his goodness, you pass judgment on who he is. That's what James is talking about here. God has never been offended by your questions. He's never been offended by the way that you wonder about things. But James says he draws the line when we question his goodness. And I'm here to tell you, there will be things coming in your life where you have to make a decision. And you say, I don't know why. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know why I'm having to go through this. I don't know why I'm having to face it. But I still know he's good. I still know he's gracious. At that moment, you're not a person that's tossed about like a wave in the sea. You're a person that has their feet settled on the foundation of our rock and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you believe in? What do you believe for? Is your faith in the thing you're asking God for? Is your faith in the promise? Or is your faith in the promise keeper? Here's the mistake I see a lot of people make. They say, God, I want this. And they put their faith in the thing they want. Instead of putting their faith, letting their needs be known, telling God what they want, but then telling God, I trust you. I trust you have the power 
and the authority and the will to do what I'm asking. But I also trust that if you've got a different way, that you're still good and you're still great. What I find is this, is people will either give up on God or they'll short circuit the system. Great example of that, Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament given a promise by God. That promise was this, I'm going to give you a son. And from that son, I'm going to make a great nation. He was 75 when he received that promise. She was 65. And approximately 10 to 15 years later, nothing was happening. Nothing was taking place. And so Sarah said, maybe God wants to do it differently than what he told us. Maybe we didn't hear him the right way. So I have a handmaiden, a servant. I'm going to give her to you. I want you to sleep with her. And from that, the child will come. That'll be the child of promise. And Ishmael was born. And it was nothing but contention. God appeared to Abraham again. And Abraham said, could this not be the child of promise? God said, that's not what I told you. I'm going to bless him. There's another child coming, a child that I'm going to give you from you and Sarah. And when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, in Sarah's words, that she was old and dried up and he was as good as dead. Her words, not mine. God gave them that child a promise. But because they short-circuited the system, They went through pain. And Ishmael and Isaac and their descendants have constantly had hatred between them ever since. Do you trust God that he's good, that he knows how to answer your prayers? Do you trust him? You see, we think doubt is having questions. In reality, doubt is either getting ahead of God, questioning whether God's promises are for you when he's declared they are, or questioning whether he's actually good when he doesn't do it in the way we want or the thing that we want or in the time that we want. That's what James is talking about. But Jesus welcomes your questions as long as you bring it to him and trust him. In a few moments, we're going to observe communion and we're going to pray for your needs. Here's what I want you to remember. Pastor Jason referenced earlier, when Jesus' good friend Lazarus is dead for four days, Jesus comes to that tomb tells them to roll the stone away. Everybody he meets doubts it. Mary, Martha, they doubt it. All the people laugh at Jesus. The people question him, as Pastor Jason said, roll away. Lord, he stinks. What are we doing? And yet Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came walking out. The only person who didn't question Jesus was the dead person he was calling back to life. 
Can I just tell you something? If you'll allow Jesus, he can take that thing you think is dead and call it back to life. If you'll get out of the way and stop questioning his goodness and his power. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.